a single guy rented my nine bed place. And he had this gigantic party. The state police came. One kid, when the cops came, jumped out the second floor window. Thank God he didn't die. Another kid passed out on the bed, puked all over the carpeting, all kinds of nasty stuff. Now, that was my house. Are you looking to create more money, more options, and more fun? Hi, I'm Chris McCarron, and each week, my guests and I will share our experiences with real estate investing and do our best to help empower you to start creating wealth yourself. Welcome to Women Creating Wealth. If you're ready to get started, visit womencreatingwealth.net. For now, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to Women Creating Wealth, the podcast where we show you how to have more money, more options, and more fun. So today, I want to just quickly touch on last week's show because it's going to kind of tie into this. So last week, we met John B. Bianchi. I pronounced his name wrong the whole time, really bad. Uh, And he taught us about Airbnb analytics, like how to make sure that what you're going to do is going to make money, okay? Go back if you haven't and watch that show because it's going to really tie into this because tonight, today, we're going to talk about rental arbitrage. And if you mess that up, you're going to end up with a lease on a house that, you know, is not making you any money. And that's not the plan, right? The plan is more money. Also, I want to really take a minute and acknowledge the cool YouTube conversation that's been going on. I love hearing your comments, love responding to your comments, love being able to actually, you know, get what you're thinking so that we can kind of tailor this whole thing to, to you, right? You're the, you're, you are why we're here. So thank you. So we talked about, we've, we have talked about how you can start house hacking with no money and no house. But this week I want to talk about what if you have a little bit of money, but still no house? What are your options then? One option that's getting increasingly popular is called rental arbitrage. So arbitrage is really kind of a legal term, which is, has been correctly applied, I think, to rentals, but just a little different. It, it's, it's kind of a fancy name. It basically means you rent a house or an apartment and then you sublease it at a profit. You need money to do this because in pretty much every market, you need to have at least the first month's rent, usually the last month's rent. And like in Boston, you also need a security deposit and a broker fee. So that's four months rent. That's a pretty good amount of money in most places. So keep that in mind that I think across the board, you're going to need at least two months rent in order to make this work, even if you're making great deals with the landlord and stuff. Although I'm not discounting your ability to talk a great deal, to talk yourself into a great deal with a landlord who has an empty place and doesn't really understand Airbnb, doesn't really get how the whole thing can work. So the advantages here are pretty obvious because you're making money from somebody else's property. And you can scale much more quickly, right? If I have to buy a property every time I want to add a new Airbnb, I mean, crap a load of money, right? But if all I have to do is sign a lease and come up with two months rent every time I want to add an Airbnb property, much better. And if you can incorporate the landlord into your into your deal, for example, a friend of mine in Texas, she owns a property that she was renting long-term and somebody approached her and said, hey, um, when this lease expires, when this person moves out, would you be interested in allowing me to manage your property as an Airbnb? Okay. So the way that works is that 
this guy guarantees her a certain amount of money every month. And above and beyond that, they share the profits. So there's really very little risk to her. There's very little risk to him because he feels very comfortable that he can make this small nut. So for example, let's say that she's getting 1500 a month for rent for a, from a long-term person. He says, okay, I'll guarantee you that I'll pay you 1200 a month, but then above and beyond that $1,200, we're going to share all the profit. He's getting his the property for under market rent, and she's more than likely going to be making a lot more than $1,500 that she was making with a long-term tenant. He did. He furnished it. He took all the risk. He, you know, he took all the responsibility for putting everything on Airbnb. He manages the whole Airbnb thing as far as talking to the talking to the uh, guests and stuff. So, no work for her. She just collects a check. She's totally happy. Work for him, but he doesn't have to own a property, and she only required him to put one month's rent up. You know, you you're probably going to have to have a, a a relationship with that person where they have come to trust you and that you're not going to just party there all weekend and never give them any money. But they had a legal contract in place, an actual lease that spelled this all out. So it was a legally binding agreement. And if he didn't perform, she could have taken him to court and, you know, it would have been messy. But that's one of the reasons that she felt comfortable doing it with who was essentially a total stranger. Of course, in that case, that was not his first property. So she could go on Airbnb look him up as a host and see that he was already doing this with other people much easier once you get to property number two. But anyway, um, yeah, so you can go from zero to a huge portfolio in a much shorter amount of time than it would take you if you wanted to try to buy all these places. It's very easy to find people who will tell you how great this is. And, and I'm not here to tell you that it doesn't have potential, but just please think about these things before you get yourself into like a crappy situation. First question, and this is especially true, like I said, of your first property because you have no history, nobody knows who you are. So you're probably going to have to get into a situation, a more traditional situation with a landlord, unless, you know, maybe you have a friend who owns rental property, but let's say you don't. So do you have good credit? Most decent places in most markets are going to require you to have a credit score of at least like 600 or 650 before they're going to rent to you. So do you have great credit? If not, start thinking about that. You know, there are in, for example, this market where I am in Boston, sometimes you can rent a place with lousy credit, but they're probably going to want a lot more money down. So instead of just being able to get away with first and maybe last month's rent, you're also going to be having to pay a security deposit and, you know, potentially even a slightly higher rent each month because the landlord is taking a risk on you and you're not most likely going to get into a really high end type of rental. You're going to probably be looking at a landlord who, you know, is a little bit more desperate. So you need to understand how much money other people in the same area are getting for short-term rentals. How full are they? So you can figure this all out right from Airbnb or VRBO because you can look at people's calendars and you can say, okay, I want to rent, you know, a couple nights. And you look and see when is the next time that they might be available. So you can get a feel for how full they are, how much activity is going on there. And you also, you see what they're renting the property for, and you want to understand like how much competition you have. So for example, I want to rent a place at the beach for this weekend. How many people actually have availability versus if I want to rent a year from now, how many, so you want to understand how many properties there are and how many actually have availability for this weekend or this month. 
because obviously the ones that have availability are not rented. And if there are 50 properties and 40 of them have availability this weekend, that's not good because <laughs> that means there's a good chance that you're going to be sitting it out as well, that you're going to have a property that is not rented. So you're looking for a place where there's maybe 50 properties, but for this weekend, there's only two available and they're ones that are really big or really small or really whatever. So do some analytics to find out how much competition you have and how they're doing. And then you want to sort of stop and say, what can I do? Like the people who are rented, do they have anything in common? All the properties that are already rented and seem to have be busy, what do they have in common? Are they more higher end? Do they have a certain number of bedrooms? Do they have a pool or right? What what is it about them that seems to be a common thread so that when you're going and looking at your other properties, that the property that you're going to create, you want to make sure that you can get all the good stuff from the people who are doing well and try to avoid the bad stuff from the people that are doing badly. I mean, everything will rent at a price. But you don't, in general, want to be the lowest priced, crappiest property on the market because those are the kind of people that are going to stay there. And you don't really want the lowest priced, crappiest people because they're not going to take as good care of your home. You know, you, you don't want, well, we'll get, we'll get to the, all the things that you don't want to happen when, you're, when we get a little further down my little list here. Okay, so what is your commitment? If this doesn't work, are you, gonna, are you having to sign a one-year lease? I mean, are you on the hook for this thing for a year? If you find out that you did a terrible job on your analytics, if that happens, what's your what's your fallback plan, right? You can you rent it to a long term person? Can you live there yourself? I mean, what what kind of options you have if for some reason it doesn't work out and you have a one year lease? Make sure because many many properties that are in an HOA or in an apartment building have restrictions against short term rentals, and it can be very hard to figure out like. The whole street might allow short-term rentals, but the one building that you're in might not. And for example, my boyfriend owns a place in North Conway. The whole White Mountains of New Hampshire area has tons of short-term rentals, but there's one little block in North Conway that does not allow any short-term rentals. Do not be the person who's in that block, okay? You want to make sure that you are not getting yourself into that kind of a situation. Another question you want to ask yourself as you're looking over these properties is what are the neighbors like? Is there anything happening in the neighborhood that's going to get you bad reviews on Airbnb? For example, is there a dog that barks 24-7? Is it right next to a train station? Is there something that's going to be really noisy, wake people up in the middle of the night? Is there a bar that lets out at 2 a.m. and everybody's like, you know, having parties on the sidewalk or something? You really want to stay away from this if you can. If it's just like too great an area, this is you know, New Orleans and you are on the perfect street and the perfect neighborhood, just make sure that you're really transparent when you write your review. Like if you're not at the bar at 2 a.m. when it lets out, you're going to want to have earphones on because when that happens, and I I think in New Orleans, it's not 2 (laughs) a.m. It's a little closer to the time when other people are waking up to go to work. So that's one thing to take into consideration. How easy is it to get to the property? Is there parking? Is there public transportation? How are people going to get access to the property? So here's an example. I've rented a lot of Airbnbs as a guest in New York City. New York City, pretty much across the board, you're not allowed to do short-term rentals. So these are all like these little kludgy situations where, you know, you've got to, they don't put the real address on there and then you got to meet the person on the street and you can't, you got to pretend that you're somebody's friend, you know, there's all that stuff. 
that that's a hassle. And those people inevitably, when I go and look for them again, a couple months later, they're gone. So don't do that to yourself. You know, just you don't need the drama. So keep that stuff in mind. And the main thing, how are people going to get access? Do you really want to meet the person every single time, meet every single guest and let them in? Some people do. You, do you have a lockbox? You know, I had a, a property downtown Boston that I just did short term for the summer, not allowed by the condo association. So they kept cutting my lockboxes off. That's not ideal, right? The guests show up, you're not in town. And oh, by the way, you can't get in because the lockbox is cut off. Plus the keys cost like a hundred bucks every time you have to remake them. Don't go there. So now you want to do the data. How do you need to furnish this property? What are people looking for in that area? You don't want to like get a bunch of junk from Salvation Army and have nobody want to rent there because it's a higher end area, right? Some places you can get away with, you know, a couch with springs coming out, but I don't think ideally that that's where you're going to make the majority of your money. So see what you can get, see what, see what other people are doing and how they're succeeding. And again, go back to John's episode last week and check and like, listen to the stuff that he's suggesting that you look into. Okay. So now what happens if somebody damages the property? Okay. So this happened to me. This is not a happy story, but I had a single guy rented my nine bed place. It was like three bedrooms, but there were lots and lots of beds and couches and stuff. So he says, oh, I'm just a single guy. I just want to rent the space and work on my dissertation. Except that he had this gigantic party. The state police came. One kid, when the cops came, jumped out the second floor window. Thank God he didn't die. Another kid passed out on the bed, puked all over the carpeting, all kinds of nasty stuff. Now, that was my house. What if it was somebody else's house? Right? What if you have to explain like why the whole place smells like vomit because some idiot? Anyway, he ended up paying for the window and I had to do a lot of stuff to get the smell out. But anyway, what happens if that happens when you're renting somebody else's house? Do you have insurance? What kind of insurance? There's special stuff you can get like that has business resumption insurance. So like the next people who came said, gee, the house smells like vomit. I don't want to stay here. So I would have had to pay to put them up in another place. And I did have to pay to put them up in another place. There is insurance that you can get so that if there's a flood, if there's a fire, if something happens that you have some type of uh, way to give your guests still a good experience, but just not at your place. Big ethics question here. Does the landlord know that you're going to be subleasing this property. I highly recommend that not only does the landlord know, but there, there's something in the lease that shows that this is going to be allowed so that, that, that when, you know, somebody sues somebody, the, the landlord can't say, oh, I didn't know that they were subleasing. Oh, it's all on them, right? Um, what is this landlord going to require? What are the arrangements? So sometimes you can pay another a lower rent, like I was talking about with my friend in Dallas. Sometimes you can pay a lower rent in exchange for sharing the profits. Sometimes they're going to want a higher security deposit because they're nervous, whatever. But it's up to you to negotiate something with the landlord so that this can work for both of you. I definitely do not recommend doing the New York City model and not letting the landlord know what's going on because that kind of stuff bites you in the butt. And you don't need to be bit in the butt if you're just starting your, your journey to um, financial independence. So now, what about your finances? Do you have a buffer? How much of a buffer do you have? Like what if you're not rented right away? Sometimes when you first get on Airbnb, 
people look and they're like, oh, this person doesn't have any reviews. I don't want to stay in a place that doesn't have any reviews, which is understandable. So a lot of times Airbnb gives you the opportunity to give them a reduced rent. So like, hey, first three guests get you know 40% off and that can help to get people coming in and getting the reviews going. But what if it's a month before you get anybody? What if you happen to have rented in a place that's a little bit seasonal and it's going to be some time before you start getting rented on a regular basis, like the pl- property up in the White Mountains that I was talking about? That is in the summertime, you get a lot of week long rentals. But in the wintertime, people are just going up to ski. You're just getting weekends. So that's obviously not as much money. What happens, right? You rent during mud season in North Conway, New Hampshire, and you nobody wants to come and stay until the black flies go away. You still have to pay the rent or you risk getting crappy credit and potentially ending up in court or evicted by your landlord, this can be really messy, especially if you have people booked in the future. And now you're having an argument with the landlord and he doesn't want, you know, he's got a big deadbolt on the door and you can't even get back in. So don't put yourself into a situation where you're going to have to cancel future guests and then get a bad rating on Airbnb. And Airbnb, if you cancel too many people, they'll just like... One mistake can really screw up your Airbnb career, and it can be kind of hard to bounce back from that. So getting everything thought through up front, good idea. Um, If you've never done Airbnb before, I highly recommend that you get some experience first. Now, maybe that experience is just being a guest, right? Maybe the next time you go someplace on vacation, instead of renting a hotel, rent an Airbnb. Get to like understand a little bit about what you're looking for when you search and how the whole review process works and stuff. Your goal, if you want to get good guests and consistent rentals, is to become a super host. You don't become a super host by being a dummy. You know, you got to be on top of this. You got to be able to respond to your guests quickly in an in a really efficient manner. You've got to be 100% putting yourself in their shoes. So you show up at a place and there's a problem. How do you feel? What is going to make you feel better? And assume that it's maybe not just you, but maybe the most like whiny person you know. <laughs> um, if you can, start by co-hosting with someone else. You know, maybe you've got a friend who does Airbnb and they'll let you to kind of be the co-host. You can see the messages going back and forth. You can have an opportunity to sort of see how that whole thing works. Or another cool idea, try starting by renting an experience or sorry, hosting an experience. So you love this town and you love, you want to host a pub crawl, right? So you've got, or some restaurants that you like, you're going to have, bring people to, you know, apps in one place and then blah, 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 a bunch of different restaurants and they end up with dessert on some roof deck somewhere. If you host an experience, you're going to get a lot of the same experience, (laughs) a lot of the same situations that you would have if you were hosting a room. And it doesn't cost you anything. So that's back to last our last episode where we talked about no money, no house. But something like that can give you some ideas of exactly how the whole Airbnb thing is going to work. To be a successful house hacker, whether it's your house, somebody else's house, or some combination, you really need to figure out, are the numbers going to work for you? So here's some things that you're going to want to check on. Startup capital. You're going to have to put a deposit down on the property. You're going to have to buy or rent furniture, all the bedding, right? So sheets and towels and toilet paper and shampoo and dishes and plates and everything. So how much is that going to cost? 
Is there any of that that you can buy from like a Salvation Army or, you know, a Habitat for Humanity kind of place, the Restore, anything like that? Get a list how much all these things are going to come to. That's one of your items. You're going to have monthly rent, utilities, cable, internet, all that kind of stuff. How much is that going to come out to? For every guest, there's going to be cleaning. There's going to be more supplies like toilet paper, shampoo, you know, conditioner, soap, all that kind of stuff. Plus Airbnb takes a commission. Um, currently it's only like 3%, but you got to factor that in. If you're looking at, oh, I'm going to get $100 a night. No, you're going to get like $97 a night. Plus you've got to pay all these other expenses. And don't forget about things like taxes and insurance. You 100% want to have this place insured, even if it's just renter's insurance, which is very inexpensive. Factor all that in. The other thing is, are you going to do all this in your own name or are you going to start a corporation? There are some tax advantages to that. So you might want to talk to an attorney. I mean, if you don't want to pay an attorney, do something like call SCORE, the Service Corps of Retired Executives. Almost every um, major city has SCORE and they're fantastic. They are exactly what it sounds, retired executives. So you're talking to CEOs of big companies who are now just want to like hang out and help people. Great, great group of people to work with and they can talk you through the whole forming a corporation, the pros and cons and things like that. When you're figuring out your income, so those are your expenses and I might've forgotten some. So like think through like the whole, the whole scenario for income, you really want to use realistic and even pessimistic numbers to figure out how much you can reasonably expect to make. And then after you've done that, take 75% of that number and make sure you're remembering and thinking about, is that income going to be seasonal, right? Where, is there a down market? There's almost always a down time in every kind of market. So, and even if there isn't like, let's say that you've, you're in an area where you could get a hurricane, a mudslide or whatever. So 75% of your pessimistic estimate, and hopefully you'll be happily and pleasantly surprised by the money that you're making on the good side, instead of being like, horrified and astonished at the money that you're making and not anywhere near uh, what you were hoping in your optimistic calculations. So once again, in closing, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to last week's episode. John is the Airbnb data guy. And then go back and watch his YouTube videos to get a realistic forecast on what your chosen property can yield you before you start signing leases. Next week, You've got to be here next week because we're going to talk to Cassie Parks. Cassie is a case study in house hacking, and she's also a super cool person. She's going to tell you how she's making money from every little nook and cranny of her house. In the meantime, have a fantastic week, and we look forward to seeing you back here next week. Well, for women creating. Wealth. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Women Creating Wealth. For more info, be sure to check out womencreatingwealth.net. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us on your favorite podcast platform and consider sharing the wealth with someone else who might enjoy it. See you next week.